Welcome to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop podcast taking you behind the scenes and covering all manner of festivals, cons, and live events. We're continuing our coverage with Season 10 of the ATX TV Festival, Day 7. Today you have me, Paul, and Sheila to cover two of yesterday's panels, the UFO slash bad robot panel and the shutter sponsored horror anthology panel sheila how are you doing today i'm great how are you thanks for having me back i could be better but these podcasts aren't going to make themselves are they that's true yeah you can't can't really delegate someone to talk to for you for something that you've seen Exactly. Right. I mean, I could if I wanted. I, I, I really try, but it's not going to work. You know, once they work on that cloning technology, I think we at Pod Clubhouse should really look into that. Oh, my God. Yes. Like if I could have podcast Sheila just, you know, ready to go watching TV, you know, all the time, ready to go. And then like Sheila needs to run out and do some errands and then that clone can go out and do the stuff that she needs to do. Like, I don't know, care for the child. I'd have editor clone Paul chained on top of a toilet with a laptop on his lap um, so that he never had to move. Just intravenous, like a nasal tube feeding, editing podcasts. Paul, we're going to have to we're going to have to work on some clones rights for your clone. (laughs) (laughs) it'll be like spew from harry potter with the uh with the rights for house elves exactly Exactly. (laughs) well tell me about the ufo panel this was one that i had an uh, an interest in because basically who's making it bad robot and the subject matter and how popular the idea of documented by official sources ufos have gotten in the news lately I got to say, like, the only reason I kind of signed on to, to cover this was because it is a bad robot production. Because, like, I love science fiction. I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. If, if the stars are involved, I, I'm here for it. But when you bring it down to Earth, I get a little bit like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> UFOs. Uh, like, we covered um, Unsolved Mysteries last year, right? We did that with the Book of Lies ladies. Right, yeah. And... You know, we we were like all in for like the five episodes that were all about like this person went missing and, you know, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's happening with this person who like went to work and never, you know, walked from the parking lot to the door. Then there was one about like UFOs and spotting lights and and things like that. And the three of us were like, if I had known this, I may not have watched it. It's, it's like every report about UFOs up until recently has been like, you remember in Monsters, Inc., when they interview the people who see the child and, and it's like, they're all totally, you can't believe them. It's like the one that says, pick me up and shoot me like a dog. Remember that one? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of like what this is. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I did go in very skeptical and like, I, I just, I, I'm not so naive to think that there's this whole big universe to think that there's not something else living out there, like that we're not that special down here on Earth. But the way that the UFO phenomenon has been covered delves 
far into the conspiracy theories, which I have like an allergic reaction to right. uh, flat earthers and things like that. Like Hillary Clinton's get, a lizard person, et cetera. Yeah. Like all because it goes into the fantastical and it goes into just the realm of just so far fetched, leaving any healthy skepticism kind of like in the dark because it's like, well, if it's not fantastical, you know, like I, I'm an X-file from back in the day. Like I, I loved that, that series. But I think that also sort of tipping the balance into then what became like the alien autopsy phenomenon which came like soon after that and they mentioned this in the panel coming out of it though i now understand because there was there was nothing in like the promo for this like other than this is coming to showtime it's a bad robot production it's about ufos that was it so i had nothing to kind of base an opinion like a preconceived notion going into this so i i enjoyed the screening of ufo i saw the first episode it doesn't come out until august which i'm kind of like Ugh, that's a long time for me to wait for episode two because they left it on such a great cliffhanger is it's non-fiction though right it's non-fiction but it's still it's you have the jj abrams storytelling behind oh, this right okay. so the way that it's set up it's it's a it's a very slick production in in how it's it's presented it's very well edited there's the content is really good yeah so it's it's docu-series it's it's complete nonfiction. the intent of it is really to start stripping back the layers of the fantastical to kind of get down to the brass tacks of like there are things that we can't explain presenting it in a way that is fact-based and using credible sources, using newspaper articles. They reference a New York Times article that was written in December 2017 about uh, a Pentagon program. Uh, the acronym is ATIP. It's uh, like a aeronautical, aerospace, tactical defense program or something like that. And using it from the, the notion that, you know, if there's security threats out there, that, you know, the U.S. government should know about it. And then it even talked about Project Blue Book, which is a show that was, you know, on. Oh, God, where was it on a couple of years ago? Oh, Did gosh. you see it? No, I didn't see it, but I, I have a faint memory of what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's based on this real program that existed within, I believe it was the Air Force to investigate the public's response to seeing UFOs and to catalog them and then finding out that all roads led to NORAD where they're exempt from like the Freedom of Information Act. So any type of information that you want to start looking at is basically routed to a dead end. I see. So in the pat sorry, in the in the documentary in the first episode, they brought in um NASA video that astronauts have seen all kinds of things that they can't explain, uh both on Earth, in orbit, um, in training. Oh, that there was a sighting at O'Hare Airport in 2000, late 2006. It wasn't reported until the beginning of 2007. And you have the the transmissions between like air traffic control and the pilot. And they're laughing because it's like, I don't want to say what I saw, but I saw something, but I don't want to say what it is. And then in the official reports, nobody wanted to give their name because they didn't want to be discredited. So what I liked about this show and what the intent then of the panel later was that you're doing a disservice, a disservice to witnesses when you discredit everything that they say. Like you can't have this many people saying that they keep seeing things and not have it be something. Do you remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Mm-hmm. Same thing in the, there's a scene in the air traffic control tower and multiple pilots say they see something and then uh, the boss comes and says, do you want to report a UFO? And they all say, no. That's exactly <laughs> 
what happened in the documentary and in the panel they even mentioned that uh, about the close encounters from the third kind that everyone's just like nope don't want to nope i saw nothing because of the the fantastical that becomes now the circus around any type of these sightings they talked about like the phoenix light phenomenon a couple of years ago um where thousands of people reported seeing the same things in several different sections of arizona so it started in phoenix and they saw it in tucson those aren't close to each other Mm-mm. right so they're they're pretty far apart and they're talking about how how can somebody in tucson 30 seconds later see the same thing that somebody in phoenix just saw and they're de- they're describing the, the the five points of light that they saw and the geometric shapes that it was making so it was very interesting and how then a a government official a city council person started investigating it and it went to the governor, it went to John McCain, and John McCain got stonewalled when he went searching for information. So John McCain being the senator of Arizona at the time. So it went up the chain and there wasn't much that they could find out about it. So it's just lending itself to the secrecy and not being able to find out any information. It's like, but it, there's too much coincidence. There's too much activity for there not to be something to it. There's even a clip from uh, President Obama on Stephen Colbert, and he's asking President Obama about, like, did you ask about the UFOs? Obama's like, yeah. And the, he's like, so what can you tell me? He's like, um, you know, that's it's classified. So he's like, oh, so there is something then, because if there was nothing, then you would have just said no. So there's a lot out there. How interesting. I mean, because this is happening. I mean, they, they would have been making this show, you know, starting two, three years ago. And before they would have the idea for it but it's only very very i mean super recently within the last six months that reports from particularly navy pilots with like their onboard cameras are catching these things that the pilots are saying things publicly and finally i think the department of defense has been saying yeah we've there's there's footage um which is new that's totally new (laughs) right so actually there's going to be an unclassified report from the department of defense being released to congress on june 25th so next friday whoa yeah so i think that there's like some intentionality too behind the release of this because there there have been strides made it seems like from this documentary series too from just the one episode that we got to see at atx the the intentionality behind this this docuseries is to bring in professional credible people not just i mean i hate to say it like this but not just like the run-of-the-mill joe schmo from the street going i saw a ufo you know pick me up and shoot me like a dog yes exactly (laughs) where it's it's maybe easier to dismiss you know, said said claim. And I'll go back to the Unsolved Mysteries one. You know, you have some people in the backwoods, maybe they were drinking, you know, like there's there's a lot of things that are used to explain away. But if you have somebody who worked on the USS Nimitz, a aircraft carrier, right, that's doing maneuvers 100 miles off the coast of San Diego, who's been an air traffic controller for 18 years with the Navy, saying, I saw something and I've been profoundly impacted by what I saw. And that's that's the cliffhanger that they leave you on for mm. going into episode two. So I, I liked the intentionality. But like I said, I went into this going, what in the freaking hell is this going to be about? Because it does go to the fantastical. But at the same time, when you strip away the, the layers of theater and conspiracy theory and, and you just sort of get down to the point, like, 
what is the logical explanation for seeing something that you can't explain? I am someone like you uh, that has followed things, you know, popular media like science fiction, like the X-Files with with zeal, you know, like I can't mm -hmm. wait. I love this stuff. I, I want to see something plausible and and I'm happy to see things like the X-Files that make it look, you know, it makes sense. Some of it anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, but I'll also tune in to the occasional documentary to see what they have to say. But it's it's I would say 98 percent of the time when I get about uh, five minutes in maybe even less, I tune out because what they're saying, the way they're saying it, who is saying it, none of it adds up to something that I want to spend any further time on. Right. Like I don't want to expend the brain capacity. <laughs> right. Like this is wasting my time. I'd rather just stick with a made up story that I know is made up rather than this guy's telling me that it's real, but it feels pretty made up. But yeah. This sounds like a different take on it, something that might be worth checking out. Showtime isn't in my normal expenditure of of uh, channels. <laughs> of, of streaming time. <laughs> yeah. But I did pick it up when they when they did Twin Peaks, the revival. Mm -hmm. um, so who knows? Maybe maybe I'll pick it up for this. Well, I will tell you that I definitely will watch episode two because like I again, like I, I, I sat here very skeptical as I sat down to watch it. And by the end of it, I was like, OK, you have my attention. Because of the the looking for information in more credible circles, not from the Internet, not from a chat room, but from trying to go through NASA, trying to go through the U.S. Department of Defense. And I think that this report that's coming out too, prop, they, they, I'm going to wager they got some sort of a preview of this report because the timing of it just seems so, to jive so well for, for what's about to come out. Yeah. Um, you know, talking to pilots, talking to astronauts, talking to politicians who have done this type of research. I haven't seen a a documentary on ufos that involves this level of investigative journalism let's put it that way well that's a that's a good measure like we've been saying what we've seen so far in this area has not necessarily seemed like the most fact-based <laughs> right or in-depth or probing if you want please don't go to probing when we're talking about aliens uh, uh, uh. see what you did there yeah, yeah. and then the, the panel just to talk about the panel that was really interesting too because it gave a lot of context to to the show right so the one of the panelists is Leslie, let me get her name right, Leslie Keen. And she wrote that article that I mentioned in the New York Times back in December 2017 about like where all this funding for this Pentagon program came from and why was it so secret? Like it, it took them a long time to figure out the money trail and how much money they were actually getting. And just talking about like just these black holes of research and development and where is all this money going? So she was somebody who was really intent on highlighting these stories in such a way because wh when you have all these people who see something 
don't know what they've seen. They have nothing else in their life to make them sound crazy. You're doing them such a disservice by not honoring their their experience, their story, and trying to give them the information to process it, to understand it, and not just them, the people who now that larger ripple effect. So I liked this track. I liked this way of storytelling and also just the mystery aspect of Mark Monroe. Yeah, Mark Monroe. He's actually the director of episode one. And he said, you know, the way that they wanted to frame it is that this is a mystery. It's been a mystery since 1947 when Roswell happened. And, and then that's the most concrete activity or ev- event that we have to sort of like kick off this conspiracy theory because there's so there's so much and so little that's really known about it. So there is this mystery and they wanted to kind of unravel these layers and really just frame it in such a way that to help people sort this stuff out and give them enough credible information to start drawing their own conclusions, to strip away the fantastical, to have people start being able to have like a better conversation about it. That all sounds like a much more thorough approach (laughs) to to the topic that isn't focused on the fantastic, like say the alien autopsy approach or something like that. Yeah, they were kind of dismissive of that. And I'll just add one thing that I thought was really interesting. They brought in a religious professor into episode one to talk about sort of the the corollary between unidentified flying objects. And they're not saying like, you know, aliens are coming to like kidnap people. They're just saying it's an unidentified flying object. Like we can't really just, we just don't know what it is. So it could be, it could be explainable. It may not be explainable by what we've seen and heard before, but by bringing in this religious professor, she's also likening this phenomenon to what religion has seen over the centuries with angels and miracles and, and how there's, they're not able to explain certain things. So there has to be something, something to it. So it's worth the exploration. I look forward to to seeing that. I think I might just spend the $5 it takes to get that uh, month of showtime that it takes for those episodes to roll out. Yeah. So they're actually, so it's dropping on August 8th and they're dropping all four episodes at the same time. So that free trial, that free trial is in your, (laughs) is in your zone right there. (laughs) Sweet. But I'll definitely tune in because I like, like I said, I liked how this was framed. It's it's much more up my my documentary alley alley because it's um it's more fact based. It's not it's not leading me down. If it leads me down to the point where like there's gonna be a little green man at the end, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna shoot somebody, but with a probe. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think at the end of it, it'll be thought provoking. It will. I hope it sparks conversations. I was this big skeptic sitting down to watch this, but by bringing in some credible names, right? So you've got, you know, Senator John McCain, politics aside, he's a a revered politician for, for his military service, for his service to his country. By bringing in him and his frustration with trying to find out just basic information, by bringing in airline pilots, like we look at airline pilots as some of the most trustworthy trustworthy (laughs) and level-headed not fantastical hopefully not delving into like the deep dark corners of the internet to talk about their you know conspiracy theory about aliens and and having somebody from the military who is an air traffic controller on an aircraft carrier these are some 
different level people than we've seen in this genre before so and i'm excited that bad robot is behind it because everybody uh, so uh glenn zipper who is part of the um the panel who's one of the executive producers and he's from bad robot they said everybody at bad robot has a fascination with this you know jj abrams like just look at his lexicon of work in the last 10, 15 years between the Star Trek and the Star Wars franchises alone. They're just exploring the fact that there's something that we don't understand. Let's ask a lot of questions about it. And hopefully the audience will be able to draw better conclusions. So moving from trying to explain the fantastical with reasonable explanations, we're going to move from that to things that are only fantastical (laughs) (laughs) with the horror anthology panel. There were a few people not listed on the ATX page that were late ads. So it was a it was based on horror anthology shows and and people uh, invested in in them. Uh, the d- moderator was Damien Holbrook who was super um, excited to talk to the the entire panel. He is a TV guide magazine writer. Yeah, those still exist. <laughs> <laughs> His, his his marquee guest was Greg Nicotero, who, if you don't know, he's kind of like the reigning chairman of, like, makeup effects in Hollywood. Uh, he is an executive producer on The Walking Dead. If there's a major effect, makeup-wise, out there, not digital, I mean, like, actual physical makeup effects out there, he, he might have had a hand in it. All the way from like, I mean, I'm looking at his IMDb and even though he's an EP level person on The Walking Dead, he still has like special effect credits on things like Hemlock Grove on on Netflix or Breaking Bad where they needed makeup effects or mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really an endless list of things that he's been involved with all the way back to Day of the Dead when he was an assistant to Tom Savini, who is also sort of that same level as, as he is. But I would say Greg has probably surpassed Tom at this point in terms of notoriety and uh, popularity in the in the field. Um, and he's there representing a, a show that he is also an EP on with a little-known streamer that's part of the AMC group called Shudder. And his show is called Creep Show, which is a throwback to the old Creep Show movies back in the 80s. Oh my God, those gave me nightmares for for a long time. (laughs) Well, it's funny you mention that. He was a makeup artist on the second one. It's one of his first credits. That's how far he goes back. Yeah. When they went around the room and talked to the other panelists, which included authors Tanana Reeve Du and Stephen Barnes, they're a married couple who were there supporting at least something that's called at this point untitled black horror anthology they also had chloe okuno who was there with a show called vhs 94 and a guy named adam mcdonald who was there with a show called slasher which is on netflix they're all anthology based shows slasher's more like american horror story where okay each season is a different take on mm-hmm. on the genre instead of every episode. VHS 94 is not out yet, but it will be, I think, episode by episode, like Creepshow. And Creepshow itself is episode by episode. They have different stories that they want to tell. And then the, the married couple, their show isn't out yet, but their, their platform was focused on creating 
horror stories in which black people, African-American people, have have the primary roles instead of the supporting roles or the first to die roles or, or the uh <laughs> that would be me in any horror flick i would just be the first one to die I'd be like oh no i can't it's it's gotten to be sort of a, a trope you know like yeah in like the not another scary movie or whatever those things are so they're still upset about the twist made in kubrick's version of the shining in which Scatman Crothers took an axe to the chest, even though that wasn't in the in the book, and that change was made, and a black person suffered as a result. So they want to tell stories that have that perspective and that lens on them. So they had a completely different perspective on the way that they were going to look at horror. They are in and of themselves horror experts. She's a she's a writer and considered a, a film historian and expert on horror, particularly black horror. And then Stephen is also a writer who's written some episodes of TV. And I'm just looking at his his uh, stuff that he does. He, he writes books. He also kicks ass. He is he holds several black belts and enjoys like things like self-defense pistol shooting. And <laughs> Like you do not want to tangle with Stephen Barnes by the by the sound. No, of it. no, I would run far away from him. <laughs> Something that was interesting, though, was uh, they they went around the the room and asked various inspirations, and the and the people who were somewhat older, the married couple and Nicotero, went back to things like Hitchcock and The Outer Limits, stuff like that. And the younger producers, Chloe and Adam, pointed to things like Creepshow, and particularly mm-hmm. Creepshow 2. I don't know if they were uh, bending the knee to, to Greg <laughs> or not, <laughs> but they both said Creepshow 2. Yeah, and they just kind of went and, and asked them several questions about their favorite genres and stuff that they were interested in and what they thought made anthologies tick. And you might be surprised to learn that Greg, for all of the zombie makeup that he's done in his life, he's still excited by the genre and still thinks that there's stuff that he can do there. I mean, like, I watch things on YouTube and TikTok. Like, I'm always drawn to, like, when these makeup artists, they do these, like, special effects. And, I mean, obviously, it's edited for time and stuff like that. But the fact that they can create, just in their space at home, some of these really graphic, scary things, I just feel like it's like an endless genre to explore and how to be make it grosser and bloodier and maggotier. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that you get with some of these panels, I don't know if you've noticed this, Sheila, when there's a generational issue or not an issue, but I'll just say a gap, is is that someone with a lot of experience has a lot to say. In Nicotero's case, he got his feet wet in his career working with George Romero, the, you know, the oh. creator of zombies, essentially. Right. That's, that's not a bad guy to learn from, I guess. Right. Right. It, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's basically one away from Jesus, right? Right. Right. In the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, he's right. one away from Jesus. <laughs> exactly. The creator. So he had a lot to say and the mm-hmm. others were basically happy to listen. Unfortunately, Tanana Reevdu and, and Stephen uh, Barnes, they got shut out a little bit in terms of having enough time to tell their piece because the moderator seemed very interested in talking to Greg a lot. Oh, that's kind of unfortunate. It is. But you get that when you get a large panel. You know, the nature of Zoom, it's good. It's good in that it 
it, it allows opportunities. Maybe we couldn't have gotten such a large panel if they had all been forced to come to Austin. But on the other right. hand, you don't get the most organic conversation. You get like noise canceling, making so that you can't hear certain comments at all, even though you can right. see a person making them. You know, within horror, there were still like, I've, I've actually read one of Ms. Dew's books. So when she said that she was interested in like things like haunted houses and stuff, I was like, well, that's like the book I read. So that was kind of kind of nice to hear. The woman, uh, Chloe Acuna, she's probably an ad for ATX fitting with the theme that they have with giving what they determine to be like uh, marginalized populations, i.e. anyone that's not a white guy, mm -hmm. a voice. And so she does not have a particularly rich IMDb at this point. She has some shorts that she has contributed to as a writer and director. She made one called slut that apparently got some attention uh it's a, it was a short that did the rounds and it got her some attention and, and and it sounded like it got her this this gig i mean it took a few years by the looks of things but i think that's how hollywood kind of works is it's like a lot of really fast and a lot of really slow all at the same time she is being given a voice now with this larger platform for this vhs 94 show there's not a lot on it right now but uh greg knew about it and he was interested in supporting her uh, by the sounds of it, um, which was which was interesting. The slasher guy also had a lot to say, particularly about slasher. I haven't seen slasher. Have you watched slasher? I have not. No, no. I, think I keep I... advocating for you guys to like pay me to watch TV. I'll watch everything you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even uh, even slasher. You know, it's it's not in my wheelhouse because I have such an overactive imagination. I I get terrified by things like that. I love good suspense things, good like psychological like mess with my mind. But like, you get someone who's gonna like jump out of me from behind my shower curtain. That shit lasts. <laughs> I watched a couple of previews for some seasons of Slasher last night before I went to sleep, and one of them. Seemed... Oh God, Paul! No, it's just the previews. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, one of them seemed to be like a season long, like. I know what you did last summer sort of sort of thing. Okay. And then others just seem to be more like season long, the the slasher killers coming to get you <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know if I'll if I'll turn on slasher or not, but because we have kids and and uh, very impressionable kids. And so I don't know if I'll find the TV time for that. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you've been ruined for the whole genre because like I watched Exorcist when I was seven. Oh, well, that that'll get you started. Yeah. So that, that kind of that kind of did it for my brain and my overactive imagination. So, yeah, Caroline still has uh, we went to see the the remaster. And mm -hmm. when, when they added in that scene of Regan going down the, the stairs on her back. Yeah. Upside down like that. And yeah. That, that still freaks her out. Yeah, it does. I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Regan or Reagan? But I read the book and uh, I think, I think they... it's Regan because I think that was prior to Reagan who popularized the, the pronunciation Reagan. <laughs> For this panel, the moderator seemed very infatuated with the, the idea of getting to talk to these people, especially Greg Nicotero. They ended it with, I thought, a very interesting question that they all agreed on which was why, why do they bother with horror stories when they could spend their efforts creating nice little stories that are happy and, you know, they show on the Lifetime channel. They all agreed on a couple of, a couple of high points. One is that the idea of being scared of something or frightened of something 
is almost universal, you know, in terms of no matter where you come from or who you are or what you've been through or your background or your nationality or your religion, if you're shown a certain scary thing, chances are everybody in that room is going to be scared of it. And and there's a, there's kind of a, a binding of, of a people in that that you don't really expect, but it's there regardless. And they then they like that aspect of horror. And then for themselves as writers, they thought that there was a kind of a cathartic element to working out their own personal demons by (laughs) dismembering (laughs) scaring the bejesus out of the mass population and then they also especially the older contributors they they had a uh, a longing for oral tradition storytelling like campfire stories and that sort of thing how if you're old enough to have gone through that sort of thing then it wasn't just like there was one ghost story told and everybody went to bed it was like well i'll i'll one up you Yes, let me top that. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell my scary story. And that's the root of what they think the horror anthology comes from. And they want that to live on. Well, it's also the the allure of these, I'll say the psychological thriller, the horror, the slasher, all of these subgenres in the horror sector, right? We like to be scared, but in a controlled way. Like it, you could almost like live out your fear vicariously through these stories because you know it's not real it there will be a resolution the bad guy will die in the end for the most part right so there's this there's this i'm not gonna get knifed (laughs) (laughs) wait you're the bad guy (laughs) but i mean like i i routinely subscribe you know subscribe to um like murder documentaries and you know true crime stuff so like that's also where this i guess i guess i like horror in the real sense i guess that's maybe a little twisted maybe a little psychology of me it's this this controlled nature of being fearful of something like it's it's in a contained box your tv your ipad your phone wherever you're watching this yeah it's a measure of of escapism as well i think like you can be you can go into this fantastical world and you can have this experience and know that you're not going to be the one that's knifed in the end or bludgeoned or whatever the scheme is in this one. <laughs> <laughs> they don't all have to be slashers. They could be bludgeoners, right? Yes, whatever the recipe is, right? <laughs> well, that is pretty much our coverage for day seven of ATX. There were a couple other panels, uh, One, another horror panel, another one on pandemic proof animation and we are looking forward to day eight which will include topics such as they're covering the amazing race and oh, okay yeah they're actually having the host phil he's going to be part of the oh wow yeah, oh, that's fantastic yeah that's cool and then they are also covering uh the good fight which is a fairly popular show mm-hmm uh, another show that is it's an unaired pilot called The History of Them. Oh, I did see that in the promo for today. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that coverage and we'll get that to you tomorrow. This is Paul. And Sheila. And we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot. Hi. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Oh.